0: Now our teaching today is from Acts chapter 9, and I'm reading verses 1 through 18. If you would like to, you can stand with me. Meanwhile Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if any there... There were any found there that belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered, The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, sent me so that I may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And I'm going to read a couple of bonus verses for you, completely free of charge. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? That ends the reading. You can be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. We are uh, beginning a brand new series in our new year, and we're going to be looking at Paul. Or at this stage in his life, he still is Saul. And... um, Paul is an incredibly significant character in the Bible. In fact, he wrote over half of our New Testament. And the story that we just read is incredibly significant as well. In fact, other than the Gospels, which um, carry a lot of the same stories, so you hear the same stories maybe in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, This is the only story in all of the Bible that's repeated multiple times. In fact, it occurs three separate times. The passage we just read in slightly different uh, words, the story of Saul's conversion to Paul occurs three times in the book of Acts. The one we just read in chapter 9, it occurs again in chapter 22 and again in chapter 27. And any, any time you come across anything in the Bible that's repeated, that raises the level of its significance. In fact, in, in, in Jewish culture, anytime you wanted something to be emphasized, you would say it twice. So, for example, in the very passage we read, when Jesus calls out, To Saul, on his road to Damascus, what does he say? Saul, Saul. He says it twice to to emphasize how important it is that he gets Saul's attention. The blinding light worked a little bit too, right? But when something is repeated three times, that means it is of the utmost significance or importance in Jewish culture. And so the fact that this story occurs three times, right? The book of Acts is a history of the early church, of the beginnings of the church. And the fact that the only thing that's repeated in the entire book is Saul's conversion, and it's repeated three times, tells us that this is an important story. And so we're going to dig into it a little bit this morning. As we go through, we're going to go back and forth to the text. So if you'd like to take a Bible and open it up feel free to go ahead and open to Acts chapter 9 because we're going we're to dig into it a little bit um, this morning and, and continue to talk about this passage because I believe it's just that, that significant. And so when we talk about this journey, um, we're talking about the journey from Saul to Paul. And Saul is perhaps one of the least likely candidates that we might have for this type of thing, for a conversion, Right? If we, if we go back, um, it starts and it's just a brief explanation, but if we were to dig further back into Acts, we know that Saul is, is probably the foremost persecutor of the early church. He's there when Stephen, who's the first martyr, is killed. In fact, he's the one who everyone lays their cloaks at his feet. And that, that is also significant because that would have been, they would have laid their cloaks at the feet of the person who was most important who was in authority. And so as everyone's getting ready to throw their rocks at Stephen to put him to death, everyone, they go and they lay their cloaks down at Saul's feet. As if to say, Saul, we're doing this in homage to you. And so they lay their cloaks down and then throw their rocks, and Stephen becomes the first martyr of the early church. Saul is there approving, giving his blessing, He may or may not have even been the person who arrested and put Stephen there in the first place. We don't have the full history there. But we know that Saul went around and what he would do is he would go around and he would search out people of the way. They weren't referred to as Christians at the time, right? Because all they were was simply Jews that had begun to follow the Messiah. They believed that Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah, and so they called themselves people of the way. It wasn't until later that they began to refer to themselves as Christians, simply again meaning followers of the Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, the Savior. And so Saul is probably the least likely candidate to go from being the persecutor, maybe the the greatest persecutor of the early church, to the greatest builder of the early church, right? The person who writes half of our New Testament. Let's be honest, most of you probably haven't cracked the Old Testament in a while, right? The New Testament, that's mostly what we dig into as Christians, as followers of Christ, and read. We primarily read the Gospels and the Epistles, and Paul wrote most of that. He's responsible for the planning of of most all of the early churches. He went out to Philippi, to Ephesus, to Corinth, to Rome. He goes to all these places and starts churches. He goes on three missionary journeys, traveling most of the known world at the time to share the message of Jesus. But he starts out as this unlikely candidate. And so... Throughout this series, I'm kind of giving you a spoiler alert, and I'm giving you an excuse I hope you don't take advantage of to not come to the rest of the messages. Because the main point of this entire series that I hope is the one thing we grasp on is that if God can use Paul, a hater and persecutor of the church, to do the amazing things that he did, what does he want to do and what can he do through you? And so when we look at his conversion this morning, I want us to kind of focus on that a little bit. And one of the things that that I love about this is that Saul has an immediate response. Immediately he responds in a variety of ways, but everything he does is instantaneous, Everything he does, from going back to Acts 9. Immediately, he hears this voice and it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And there's a lot of different things, a lot of ways he could respond, right? But he says immediately, who are you, Lord? Now there's there's two versions of Lord that... that from the Greek that could be translated here, one is is translated more in our language as sir. It would just be a general term of respect, right? For example, if if you were raised in the South, right, you address everyone as sir, all, all males as sir, sir and ma'am, right? Mary Louise, right? You're a good Southern girl. Yep, sir and ma'am, that's just the way you talk. Okay? It's not that term. This is a term immediately of, of Paul immediately, or Saul, excuse me, immediately saying, this is God. This is divinity. He is saying Lord in the sense of Adonai. Meaning, this is, this is immediately someone that, that we would recognize as divinity, as God. And so that's incredibly significant. Immediately, Paul responds... And he wouldn't have expected to be accused of persecuting the church. He thought he was persecuting heretics. So when he responds, that means there's an immediate transformation that's going on in his life. And so there's sort of four things that he does immediately. The first thing he does is he listens. Immediately he listens. When, um, when I was growing up, I was, I was a pretty good kid. For the most part, I obeyed. Why are you laughing, people? I, as if I'm making a joke. I'm not. But um, I remember, especially my dad would accuse me sometimes of having um, this this thing called selective hearing, right? And my wife um, my wife says the same thing to me sometimes, right? Selective hearing, and I guess it's the idea that um, maybe maybe you're not. or maybe you're only listening to the things you want to hear, or maybe you're not really actually listening all the time. Well, guess what, guys? I found science to back me up. I had an excuse all these times. I just found it today. Three-quarters of all people in Great Britain believe that their partner has selective hearing. Men are far worse than women, according to a study. It's a familiar scenario for couples across the UK. They ask their beloved to do something, and the other half conveniently doesn't hear what is said. In fact, during the course of a typical week, men, there's quotes around this, won't hear what their partner is saying on seven occasions. So 388 times a year, men don't hear what their spouse asks them to do. However annoying, experts, I hope you all are catching this, experts at Scriven's Hearing Care warn this could be more than simple laziness and it could be far more worrying. More than half adults admitted they're concerned their partner's selective hearing could be genuine hearing difficulties. I want everyone to tell my dad, it wasn't my fault, Right? And we can all sometimes have selective hearing, selective hearing. But Paul, right, Saul here, he immediately listens. He doesn't tune this message out immediately. He's focused. He responds immediately, Lord. And he listens to the entirety of the message. It would have been easy for him to be distracted by the blindness and falling off, you know, his horse and, and thinking about, where am I? What's going on? This is crazy. There's a lot of ways he could easily have been distracted. And yet he listens. He leans into the message. And not only does he do that, but he immediately obeys. Right? Right? He, he's told, hey, go straight into this village. He gets his people around him who would have been his you know, his people that literally worked for him, and he grabs them and he says, take me to this village. I've got to go. He's told to meet some guy he's never met before, and he goes and he does it. He immediately obeys. And one of the things that's, that's important is sometimes it's easy to obey, right? There's some things that are kind of easy to follow, but for Paul or Saul... To obey this meant literally he was giving up everything. Literally giving up everything he stood for. Some of you may remember we started off last year with a series on Philippians. I want to look back at a passage because I think it's helpful in our context. If if you will, if you do have your Bible open, turn to Philippians chapter 3. It's not on the screen. I'm just reading a few verses. But here's a reminder of what Paul gave up, right? Verse 4. Though I myself have reasons for confidence, if others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church... As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, now I consider loss for the sake of Christ. You see, what happens is Paul has lived his whole life based on this concept of his Jewishness. That's everything to him. So much so, he believes so fully in this that he's persecuting the church. Paul's not a bad guy, right? Right? He's not evil incarnate. He simply believes so much in his Judaism that this this offshoot he's going to put down. And so when he hears this voice and he hears that it's Jesus, the very person he's trying to stop, and he still obeys, he's literally giving up everything to obey. That's incredibly significant. There's a man by the name of Pierre Barlow. He was a gunner in the fort of Mount Valeran during the Prussian siege of Paris. You remember that, Steve Lane? That's a joke. That's a joke, guys. That was a long time ago. All right. And one day, he was standing by his gun when General Noel. The commander came up and leveled his glass at the Severus Bridge. Gunner, he said, do you see the Severage Bridge over there? Yes, sir. Do you see the little shanty in the thicket of shrubs to the left? I see it, sir, said Pierre, turning pale. The general said, it's a nest of Prussians. Try to hit it with a shell, my man. Pierre turned paler still. But he sighted his piece deliberately, carefully, and fired it the general said well hit my man well hit but as he looked at pierre he was surprised to see a great tear running down the gunner's cheek what's the matter man that was an excellent shot pardon me general said pierre it was my house that we shot and everything i had in the world you see, obedience is not always easy, and yet this, this man, because of his duty, because of his loyalty, was willing to obey. And Saul does the exact same thing in this context, even though it's going to cost him everything he obeys. And yet sometimes we hesitate to obey simply because it's inconvenient, or it's hard, or it's not what we want. Yet Saul is the example. He gives up everything. He also changes right he doesn't simply obey he is transformed we we have an example of that in the text right because it says that he goes he goes to the house of Ananias he receives sight and it says at once he is baptized now if you remember i talked about this during our john the baptist series baptism back then wasn't necessarily the same significance it has for us today There's not an established Christian church. Again, baptism was simply used as a sign that you were putting aside a former way of life and embracing a new one. So when Saul says at once he's baptized, he is immediately putting aside everything he's worked for and embracing Christianity that doesn't even exist yet. He's embracing the very way he was persecuting less than 24 hours ago. Imagine that for a minute. Complete and total transformation. And that's, I think, part of the reason we, we, we go from calling him Saul to Paul. I mean, maybe he should have changed his name more. But he's, he's immediately changed as a result of this. And he keeps going. He goes on from there, and he doesn't just go from from being a persecutor of the church to a follower of the way, right? He becomes the greatest single force for the way in all of the world. He becomes really the de facto leader of this new movement, amongst other people, right? We have Peter also. We have James. We have some other leaders of the early church but really it's it's paul who gets the message out paul is really the one who goes to all lengths i mean he's arrested multiple times he's scheduled for execution three different occasions he gets bitten by snakes twice he's shipwrecked he does all of this to bring forth this message because he's that utterly changed. He's that convinced so much of his obedience. And so, God does these amazing things through Paul, not because of his experience or, or who he is, but God does all of this through Paul because of his response. And I think the important thing in this is that, that Paul does all of this immediately. It's, it's like this. He's going down the road, he's going on the way to arrest people for being followers of Jesus. He hears a voice, he gets blinded, and now he becomes the leader of the followers of Jesus. Immediately, instantaneously. When God wants to use us, he doesn't ask for our ability, he asks simply for our availability. So the question for all of us today is when God speaks to us, because he does speak to all of us, what is our response? When God comes calling, when we we hear that still, still small voice, when we feel that prick on our conscience, when we read the word of God, when we listen to a sermon, when a fellow Christian talks to us about something, what is our response Do we listen, obey, change, and tell others? Or do we keep going on our merry way? There's a quote from a man named, oh goodness, I can't even read my writing. His first name's Neil. And it's similar to what I just said, but God, when God comes to us asking us to do something, God does not ask about our ability, but our availability. When we prove our dependability, then he will increase our capability. Let me read that one more time, because I think that's really rich. When God comes to us asking us to do something, he does not ask about our ability, but our availability. When we prove our dependability, he will increase our capability. You see, Paul, God doesn't go to Saul and think, this is the best guy out there. I'm going to get this guy because he's got all this ability, and this is the guy I need for my team. That's not his pattern, right? That's not what God does throughout any of the Bible. You know, over and over again. That's not who he uses. I mean, he go back to the very beginning. At one point, he gets a donkey to speak on his behalf. I mean, over and over again. God, God's not looking for the best and the brightest. I love the story of, of Dwight L. Moody. Some of you may listen to Moody Radio, or you might be familiar with Moody Bible Institute. But if you go all the way back to Civil War times. That's Dwight L. Moody's period. And by all accounts, he was a a, a young troublemaker. In fact, uh, they one time interviewed his old Sunday school teacher, and his Sunday school teacher said, I'd never met a child with a darker heart than Dwight L. Moody. Interesting. And Dwight L. Moody goes on, and he becomes a very successful, I guess, cobbler shoe and boot salesman he's very very lucrative business and and he comes to a point where he is has an experience and he hears and understands about the love of god in a fresh way and it transforms him and so he gives up all of his life and he, and he determines that he's going to share this message of god's love with the world And uh, the story is told that someone was at one of his early meetings, and, and at his very early meeting, he has a young child, and he has this young child on his lap, and he's trying to read him the Word of God, and Dwight L. Moody can barely read. By all accounts, he's a very simple man, uneducated. Struggles even to, to read and understand the Bible, and yet God uses him <sighs> amazing. To this day, God is using Dwight L. Moody in amazing ways to reach thousands and thousands of people, literally, hundreds of thousands. And all he did was take, you know, back then it was, it was very common that evangelists, when they preached, it was all about hell. It was hellfire and damnation and that we were, we were literally going to scare the hell out of people. That's how we're going to get them to follow Jesus. And Dwight L. Moody said, nah, no, I'm going to do this all differently because this is not a book of fear. This is a book of love. He couldn't read well, but he read well enough to understand that. And so his message was, God loves you desperately. God takes Dwight L. Moody, a man with very little ability, but who was willing. And when he proved he was dependable, when he proved that he would share this faithfully message, God increased his capability, and God has used him in profound and amazing ways. And so my question for myself, for all of us this morning is just simply this. What is God asking of you? Don't be afraid you're not good enough to do it. You're not. God simply wants you to be willing. And when you're willing and faithful, he will increase your capability. He'll give you, he's given you his Holy Spirit. That's all you need. I promise you this, whatever God has called you to do, he'll give you the strength and the grace to do it. Amen?